Coming up on this week's show, we talk with Jay Bell about his journey from book to audiobook to movie to comic with Something Like Summer. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 96 of Jeff and Will's Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from Jeff Adams. <laughs> he forgot who he was. <laughs> That's okay. That's Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com, and I'm Will from WillCanHouse.com. This week's episode is sponsored in part by listeners just like you. We'll have more information on how you can help support this show in just a few moments. And I will try to have my words, perhaps, for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I went. I just, I wasn't there. So, if you are able to think back <laughs> to the last seven days, you want to give us an update on... The writing and um, what what exactly did you do this week? I worked, I'm not even sure. Fill me in. <laughs> I worked a lot this week. Well, that I do know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the day job's gotten a bit bonkers uh, over the last couple of weeks, but I did cross the 10k word word mark on uh, Winger Three. Cool. So kind of happy about that. Very good. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. We had a question from one of our listeners this week. Yes. Hello, Katie. Hello, Katie. So she's been going back through the old episodes. <laughs> she's been in our backlist. You're a brave woman, Katie. And and back <laughs> back when we started, we did a question of the week. Yes, we did. And she was asking if we would actually ask one on her behalf because she's looking for details. She wants to know if there are what our listeners think of favorite bleh, favorite multiples books. So books with threesomes, foursomes, or more. Mm-hmm. Now you have a favorite. I do. What would that be? Um, my go-to, uh, Minaj favorite is, first of all, I should say, I am not, um, uh, as you might say, well-versed in this particular subgenre of romance. I haven't read a whole lot of Minaj and more. Um, one of the few that I have read and I enjoyed immensely was the very first book in Carol Lynn's Cattle Valley series. It's called All Work and No Play. I highly recommend that one. Um, the entire series is really, really awesome. And someday I'm going to like sit down and read the entire thing. There are like a million, billion volumes. <laughs> but um, uh, the first one that kicks it off is really good. Um, it's very romantic, super sexy. Um, I highly recommend All Work and No Play. What about you? So mine is, uh, this is my first Polly book, 911 by Chris Owen. I... Didn't know what I was getting into when I read this, and I loved it so much how the how these three men come together and and form this really awesome relationship. So that would be mine. Nine one one, Chris Owen. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot, mm-hmm. and I think you're the one who turned me on to it too. Yeah, it's an excellent book. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend checking out Chris Owen's backlist. She is actually. Working on getting her backlist uh, back in action, oh, good. as they say, putting some uh, older books uh, back up uh, onto all the retail sites. And I think for the very first time, she is scheduled to appear at GRL. <gasps> I have to take 911 with me. So unless she's like, unless she's like, you know, going to fly completely under the radar, I'm searching you out, Chris Owen, and I'm going to have you sign my copy of Bareback. 
And my copy of 911. Because, yeah, Bareback's awesome, too. Yeah. So, anyway, Katie has said that she's tried to uh, read more in this area. And when she goes to the book recommendation group, she's always getting the same answer. So, she's hoping our listeners have some new stuff. So, if you have some recommendations for Katie, throw them into the comment section on this week's show notes. Mm -hmm. Now, last week, I talked about Brew Baker's um, book, Tall, Dark, and Deported. Okay, you didn't just talk about it. You raved about it. That's very let's, true. Let's actually. Call it what it was. Actually, that's very, very true. <laughs> it's a big old rave. Because <laughs> I cannot recommend that book enough. And Brew has stepped forward with a um, a prize package for us. Yes. She's going to give two people the opportunity to win an Audible code for the just released audiobook of Tall, Dark, and Deported. Mm-hmm. So there's a raffle copter on this week's show notes. And you have the opportunity to go in, and there's a couple different ways to enter. One of the things that we want to know is, what is your favorite marriage of convenience, either book or film? Because as you know, that is Will's thing, is the marriage of convenience. So throw some of your uh, recommendations into the raffle copter and uh, let us know, and you'll get a chance to win. That raffle copter will run all this week. Okay. And once again, where can they find that raffle copter? BigGayFictionPodcast.com on this week's show notes. Fantastic. Now is the point of the show where Jeff and I thank all of you wonderful listeners for tuning in week after week to listen to us blather on about <laughs> indeed various things like marriage of convenience and superhero shows uh, and talk to some of the coolest authors around. Mm-hmm. Now, you can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge helps pay for the costs of producing and distributing this podcast. And for fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our super cool upcoming guests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super cool. Get in on that action. You can get details on that and how to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash big gay fiction podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash big gay fiction podcast. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So last week we rolled into the month of August. Dog days of summer are upon us. Uh, I know lots of you are very, very busy. Uh, Most of you are probably cramming in one last vacation with the family or running around getting ready for back to school. Or I've even seen some friends whose kids have already gone back. Oh my god. I know, isn't that horrible? In August? I would be so pissed off if I was that kid. That would be (laughs) awful. Also, August happens to be Romance Awareness Month. Let that sink in. So that you're aware of the fact... Oh, never mind. That was a stupid joke. Anyway, so (laughs) it's Romance Awareness Month, and I wanted to give you my top five couples... Five romance couples that you should probably start following on social media. So, in no particular order, I would like to mention Jesse Jackman and Dirk Kaber. Now, Jesse and Dirk are both performers in the adult film industry. Now, porn power couples are kind of a dime a dozen. Uh, they they come along, they're all lovey dovey, uh, then they burn out really quick. 
uh, Jesse and Dirk have been together uh, like a million in porn years, a million billion years. Uh, and it's obvious that they're absolutely crazy nuts in love with one another um, when they're not busy being professionally sexy. Um, <laughs> Dirk is a musician and composer. Jesse is um, he does something with websites, some sort of like technical computer magic he's really really smart as well as being incredibly hot uh if you follow either one of them on social media please be aware they are uh professional sexy dudes uh so they occasionally post pictures from uh the sets or uh occasionally really funny behind the scenes stuff um Mm -hmm. i love the both of them they're totally sweet uh check out jesse jackman and dirk caber Number two on my list is strongman Rob Kearney and his fiance Joey Alexio. Now, recently, CBS Sports has been running uh, the 2017 strongman competition. Mm-hmm. Rob was the very first, the very first openly gay man to complete in the world's strongest man competition. So, yay, <laughs> breaking that glass ceiling. Yeah, uh, he's a really Um, amazing, sweet guy, Uh, though Rob did not uh, end up qualifying for the final round in World's Strongest Man. uh, That hasn't stopped him. In fact, just this past weekend, uh, Rob won the Canadian National Log Press Championship. Yes, he did. I saw that on Facebook. Uh, Which is amazing. Congratulations, Rob. Um, If you don't know what a log press is, it is essentially, you have to pick up an implement that is literally the size of of a fallen tree, uh, you have to pick it up and then press it overhead. I believe his, um, when he pressed, it was like 452 pounds. It was, it was some a big abs- ass tree. Some <laughs> absurd amount of weight. So congratulations, Rob. Uh, so check out Rob Kearney and his boyfriend, Joey Alexio. Next, I want to m- quickly mention Nate Burkus and Jeremiah Brent. We've spoken about them in the past. Their design show, Nate and Jeremiah by Design, blew up a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, People went absolutely crazy for it because it's actually a really damn good show. Um, They've been a little quiet on social media lately, but they're ramping back up. I believe they're preparing the new season. Yay! Um, uh, If you have a chance to check them out, either on the Twitters or on the Facebook, they often do live videos when the episodes air. Uh, Oh, fun. And kind of, you know, they answer questions. They give you some behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, They're really awesome, and they're very, very passionate about what they do. So, Nate and Jeremiah, uh, looking forward to the new season. Mm -hmm. Um, Next up, I want to mention Stephen Fry and his husband, Elliot Spencer. Now, uh, Stephen Fry is a popular actor and TV presenter from England. Mm -hmm. Um. If you don't know his name, you would probably recognize his face. You go, oh, that guy, because he's been in absolutely everything. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is Wild. Stephen Fry starred in that, uh, the biopic from uh, probably fifteen, almost twenty years ago, maybe now. Something like that. Um, yeah. It's an amazing movie. Check out Wild if you have the chance, and you can see how awesome and amazing Stephen is. Uh, several years ago, Stephen met. Elliot Spencer, uh, and these two are like complete relationship goals. Um, they're so super cute together. 
and if you happen to have a thing for May-December romances, then this is the couple for you. Because <laughs> <laughs> not 10 years, not 20 years, 30 years separate Stephen and Elliot. Um, uh, a lot of Stephen's friends credit Elliot with helping uh, Stephen with his long battle with depression. Mm. Uh, he's really come back to life and rededicated himself to his career. So kudos to the two of them. They're amazing. If you have a chance, um, check out what they're doing online. And last but not least, I want to mention freestyle Olympic skier Gus Kenworthy and uh, his adorable husband, an actor named Matthew Wilkes. Um, both of them are very active online. Um, they obviously jet all over the world because... <laughs> Gus is busy uh, competing. Uh, his most recent accomplishment was posing in the buff for the ESPN body issue. Uh, Matthew, you're a very lucky man. Um, <laughs> so if you have a chance, check out Gus Kinworthy or Matthew Wilkes online. They're pretty amazing. Cool. So this past week, uh, we talked about this particular short film many months ago, and in a heartbeat, finally made its full-length debut on Monday, July 31st. Mm -hmm. Now, before oh. you keep going on, <laughs> for people who, who might not remember, In a Heartbeat is the short animated film by Beth David and Esteban Bravo. Let me sink that in. Esteban Bravo. That's a good name. Kudos to you, Esteban. That's pretty badass. <laughs> um, and also kudos to the both of you, because In a Heartbeat, this... Utterly adorable short film has completely blown up and taken the internet by storm. In just one week, it has had over 20 million views on YouTube and various social media channels. And just about every, uh, every blog, every uh, network has written something up on this phenomenon. Mm -hmm. um, so if we're just telling it to you now, where have you been all week? I Gracious. Know, and now I you have know. to go watch it. Exactly. Just put us on pause, hop over, spend five minutes. It's so adorable. I mean, it's, it's preview didn't even begin to touch on how adorable it is. There's no words in it at all. It's just all images. And of course, I, I actually love the big mystery of the whole thing. Where does that apple go? Yeah, indeed. So, if you are in for four minutes of utter adorableness, uh, be sure and check out In a Heartbeat. You can find that on YouTube, or um, I believe they have uh, uh, accounts on all social media yeah. channels. And we link up to the YouTube on the show notes. Yeah. So, a couple months ago, I had the great pleasure of talking to Jay Bell, who's the author of the Something Like Books and has been spending this particular summer out on the festival circuit promoting the film of Something Like Summer, which we had the the uh, honor of seeing back at Out in Outfest last month. Uh, the film's great, the books are great, and we had a good talk with Jay about how the series got started, how it's coming to an end very soon, and what's next for him. I'm excited to welcome Jay Bell to the podcast. Jay was born in Kansas and spent a decade growing up in Missouri and Texas. While working in Lawrence, Kansas, he met his future husband, Andreas, who was an exchange student from Germany. After a stint of living in Germany, the couple currently lives in Chicago. He has always loved books and getting lost in fantastic worlds, especially C.S. Lewis, Pierce Anthony, Terry Brooks, and others. 
Jay is the author of the Something Like series, which also now includes a webcomic and a motion picture of Something Like Summer. Jay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's wonderful to be here. So, let's drop what feels like way back to 2011. Yeah, it's a long time ago. <laughs> and Something Like Summer came out. Where did the inspiration for that actually come from? Well, when I decided to write it, I was blissfully unaware of gay fiction in general, which is really odd because I've been a bookworm my whole life, like you said, um, but I primarily stuck to fantasy. And I wrote a couple fantasy novels. Um, and I just, I always had this kind of frustration inside of me because when I watched gay movies, uh, I never quite saw my life reflected. Mm-hmm. I'd see aspects of it, of course, like falling in love with another guy, like the really basic stuff. Uh, but for me personally, someone who came out as a teenager in the 90s and then from there lived a very normal life. Um, I w- wasn't very involved with gay culture at all or gay bars because I was too young. Um, Kansas City at the time really didn't have pride parades. And so I just really want to tell a story that reflected what I grew up with, what I knew uh, to be gay life, in the hopes that somebody else out there would read it and say, hey, that's that's my life. And there was a lot of responses like that, to my surprise. So are you Ben? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get asked that a lot. and No doubt, because it's the obvious question, especially when you give the answer you just did. <laughs> well, yeah. There's aspects of my personality and his, um, but he's, he's very much his own, his own person. I can't sing. I wish I could. So maybe that part's wish fulfillment. Um, I didn't have a Tim Wyman, uh, growing up because I was just so out that it was a deal breaker for me if someone was closeted. Um, and I think he's, he gets into a little bit less trouble than I did growing up too, which is a big difference. <laughs> He's a good kid. <laughs> yeah, he really is at heart. And it's it's an interesting book to me because, you know, it starts in high school. I believe it's Tim uh, Ben's senior year of yeah. high school. And then in this one volume, you track all the way in Ben's life to some years after college. Yeah, it's a 12-year journey, 12 years. And that's, you don't get that a lot in many books, because that, usually if you're going 12 years, you spread out into a few volumes. Um, Right. What was the intention of of how far you took his life? Because there were a couple of moments as a gay romance where you could have ended it and called it, there's Ben's happily ever after, and we're done. Well... I think the reason I, I did that, the, the working title of the book was The Many Loves of Benjamin Bentley. And the concept I had when I first started is I imagined uh, the reader traveling with Ben as he dated a bunch of different guys until he finally found the right one. And I also wanted, um, I guess that's a little bit of my story too, I wanted a previous love of his to come back and for him to have to deal with that. Because a the theme that runs through the entire series is that when you love someone, it never truly goes away. And that's something I believe very strongly. Those feelings might be dormant. Um, they might be bundled up in some layers of animosity and resentment. But if you scratch the surface enough, you'll find those feelings are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that's primarily why I wanted uh, the reader to kind of grow up with Ben. 
you know, but also that same thing. I was trying to write a book that showed what it was like for me to grow up as an, an openly gay teenager in a world that was a lot less friendly to any gay issues. And um, so I, what you go through as a gay person in high school is different than what you go through in college and also when in your working life as an adult and stuff like that. So that's why I kind of made the journey as long as I did. <laughs> I think it's an accurate picture of the times as well from the late, you know, that late nineties into the, into the two thousands yeah, and how and things lot. evolved and how things, you know, got better for lack of a yeah. better phrase. They got a lot better. Like I, I chose a great time to came out, to, to came out, to come out. Cause as soon as I did, it was just a couple years later that Ellen happened and that kind of snowballed into, the mostly progressive environment that we're in now. Yeah, mostly. Back a little bit, but <laughs> I've got good faith that we'll take two steps forward again. And then after summer, you you kind of you spun everything on its head with autumn. Or right. sorry, winter. Yeah, winter came after. Yeah, I got the seasonal order wrong too. <laughs> <laughs> just skip the middle parts. Yeah, it's just skip uh, the winter. And you told the story now from Tim's side and gave more of Tim's backstory, you know, kind of right. before and after. Was that yeah. always the, did you always see that when you wrote Summer that you would end up and flip the story like that? Not at all, no. Um, and that came about because when people read Summer, I'd say about half the readers really, really hated Tim. Like they were really down on him. And that took me aback because uh, even though I might not have been willing to date someone who was still in the closet when I was Ben's age, I still understood why someone would remain in the closet and, and why it's a struggle. Uh, and so I kind of wanted to come to Tim's defense and say, okay, look, it's, yeah, he did some jerkish things that are hard to forgive, but he has his reasons. And I think that goes beyond being closeted too. Most people, if given the chance to explain themselves, um, they have reasons for what they did that might not justify it, but at least it makes it understandable. So, yeah, and then when it, when it comes to the whole perspective switching thing, um, I have to give Piers Anthony credit for that because he wrote a fantasy series called The Incarnations of Immortality that I read when I was younger. And the first five books, uh, the devil is the, the, the main nemesis. He's the bad guy that keeps showing up and keeps ruining everyone's fun. And then the sixth book, is the devil's story and from his perspective he's the victim and you have complete sympathy for him uh and i just i find that absolutely brilliant so i was very happy to steal that from him <laughs> yeah i have to say but having read the two pretty much back to back um you give me some really ugly cries oh, good. That's, that's some like really not pleasant moments because like there was one that happened while I was in the car driving and it's like this isn't yeah. this isn't good, but and especially in autumn, I mean there are things winter. Sorry, my my season's messed up too. There are things in winter that I knew they were coming because I had read summer, and they're yeah. over, you know they're they're overlapping and it's, it's still just boom. You you put a lot of like real life crisis in these books yeah and, and... I, I tried to explore all aspects of love and, and loss is it doesn't even have to be the death of someone just someone leaving your life can be devastating and it can change how 
how you perceive everything around you. So um, it's just really important for me, going back to that original goal too, um, a lot of times the media means well and they'll have like the gay best friend character and they're still doing this. Like Riverdale is a great example. I love that show, but the, the best friend is still kind of like the comic relief. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more to being gay than casual tryst out by a lake and being kind of like funny and fabulous. Um, and I just, I really wanted to show people that being gay has these devastating moments. It has these, these moments that I think anyone can relate to where they're just, they feel broken inside by that same token. It's really important for me to show that there's always hope that past these dark moments, um, given time to heal, you can find your way back to happiness. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to put it. Thanks. (laughs) Now, and you mentioned it, we, we were as we were talking before we were we, we hit the record button that you deliberately didn't brand these as YA either even though and I'll say I I've, I've only read I'm in the middle of autumn truly autumn and Jace's story this time but at least the three that I've gone through start everybody's in high school you know mm-hmm. in that in that age but because you bring them on through a, adulthood also they don't really fit YA but you have a particular reason you didn't want to call them YA Right. There's a lot of backlash against that. When I, f- I first started out uh, with marketing, I'd have like a rave review on a blog site and then the comments below would be like, oh, I don't read YA. Just as simple as that. And I suspect part of that is uh, when we become adults, we tend to forget what it was like to be a teenager. We tend to forget that we felt things that are just as complex as what we feel now. Um, we go through situations that are just as challenging and perhaps that's why people are dismissive of it. Um, in this genre, maybe it's people are looking for a little heat, uh, which I also don't shy away from. No, you know, I try to I try to make sure the teenagers are of like a legal age, um, at least with each other and in the state um, that they're in. I try to make it so by that state's law, they're of legal age. Uh, but that's also important for me to show the sexual aspect of gay relationships because there are younger people reading these books and they haven't, their exposure to gay sex has been primarily through pornography Mm -hmm. online. Um, So I like showing the emotional aspect of sex or how, you know, sex the first time is usually full of mistakes and embarrassing, not bloopers, but you know, (laughs) it it rarely goes smoothly the first time. It's still beautiful and wonderful, but it's kind of... (laughs) kind of confusing and that's that's also fun to show because i hope it's comforting to young people or even older people that you know might be late bloomers i mean there's people in their 30s that have sex for the first time sure what what's the what's the audience segment you get most of your feedback from is it young people or is it adults who do who read ya or is it split pretty even it's all over that amazes me um it's I do hear from a lot of young people that are struggling with coming out, and that's always wonderful when it's of any comfort to them. Uh, I hear from grandmothers who read these books sometimes with their daughters or grandkids. Um, plenty of women, plenty of, of older gay guys that lived through the 90s and relate to it because of that, and it's more of a nostalgia trip for them. Um, about the only demographic I never hear from is straight guys, which isn't too surprising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. 
I did have one that he had like a, he's in that Big Brothers of America program. Mm-hmm. I guess the little brother assigned to him was gay. So he read uh, something like Summer, uh, so he'd be able to relate more. And I had a dad that did a similar thing when his kid came out. Good for them. Of, That's nice. Isn't that cool? Yeah. yeah those, when I get letters like that, I just heap praise on those parents because we need more people like that in the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think your books are good examples because you're not presenting what often shows up in fiction. Yeah. And not so much now, but of the very depressing side, you know, right. stuff. I yeah. mean, there may be a depressing moment or two, but overall the story is, is a realistic one of happiness. Yeah. I like to think so too. I think they're fairly lighthearted and they have a lot of humor in them. And, um, yeah. With at least one good cry placed somewhere in the book. Good cries. <laughs> and sometimes I think you'll get to this in spring. If you keep going, there's, there's cries that are, you cry cause you're happy. And that's my favorite kind. It's oh, I've done that in the, in the book so far too, for sure. Yeah. Glad to yeah. hear it. <laughs> now, you mentioned that you know you hadn't really decided at the time to do winter, even when summer came out. At what um, point did you see that you were just going to keep going? Because I believe it's now there's seven books in this series. Or is the, ne- is the next one always kind of a surprise that it comes up? I think we're, out, we're up to nine, believe it or oh, not. nine. Okay. It's crazy. And then there's two more coming out. Um when, when, when winter came out, when I wrote that, of course, it was kind of like, all right, there's there's three guys in summer, um, three main guys, I'd say. And so, of course, it was kind of like, oh, I could write Autumn, too, and that could be Jace's story. Uh, and I think it was my best friend. I was having a conversation with him, and it was kind of a joke. And then after I went home that night, I was like, well, I could probably do it. <laughs> and then spring... Uh, it's a new character, so that was kind of a risk where I introduce a new character and it doesn't retell as much as the first two books do. Um, And I really thought that was going to be the ending. But of course, because I introduced new characters, I introduced new love interests, and I was interested to see if I could do the same thing as I did with the others, where it's like, okay, let's find out what things are like from the other guy's perspective. And then it just snowballed from there because I... I'm just crazy about this series. Like, I just love these characters so much. And I've just been running with it. And I wasn't sure if anyone would keep running alongside me. But I think we lost some people, but quite a few have, have stuck with me, which is wonderful. I really appreciate it. Yeah, especially over, you know, six years. Yeah. <laughs> and the books just get fatter and fatter, too. It's ridiculous. They do. Every time I queue up a new audiobook, I'm like, wow, this is, you know, X yeah. hours bigger than the other one. <laughs> <laughs> now speaking of audio what what was it like to hear you know in the first one like ben tim and jace all come to life i was so nervous about that um but i i really tried to find a good narrator that would match the kind of the youthful tone of the series uh and kevin r free is the perfect fit because uh, he's He's a professional actor, he's a stage actor, and I think that makes a tremendous difference. Uh, most audiobooks are read by someone with a very clear voice and they're good at enunciating and all that. But Kevin, each character, he manages to find a unique voice. And, I mean, especially as the series keeps going, that's especially impressive because the cast just grows. Um, and he's really able to inject humor uh, and make me sound more clever than I actually am in many scenes. Uh, likewise, with the emotional scenes, he delivers those in a way that some scenes hit me a lot harder when I listen to him do it. 
Um, so it's it's un- at this point unthinkable. I could probably save a lot of money, frankly, if I just chose a different narrator. But he's he's worth every penny. He's amazing. Well, not only might it be a, a big difference for you, I, I I could imagine a little you know listener backlash too. Yeah, and that, rightly. <laughs> I, I, I have I haven't read any of them. I've listened to every one of them so far, uh-huh. and I don't know that I could go back to try to read now that I know how awesome Kevin is. I can't go back characters. to writing the same way because I I literally ever since he started doing the audiobooks because I think four or five were already out before I started doing audiobooks, um, but now when I write, I hear the character voices almost without exception. Mm-hmm. The, the character voices how he does them because they're just such a perfect fit. I've heard that from, we had another author on, actually had them on with their voice artist. Yeah. And she was saying that for the recurring characters in her series, she hears the performer in her head. And sometimes yeah. she'll write a certain way because she she knows it'll get said a certain way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse, along the way, right? Yeah. Now, you've also been translated. I think I saw German, Spanish, and French. Yeah. For summer, at least. Yeah. Um, first of all, how did you come to your, your translations? Because you're independently published, and that doesn't always ca- happen for an indie published book. Um, I believe in... with Yeah, I, I was approached by publishers when it came to all of them. I tried to do a little advertising myself, where I was like, hey, I've got this book that's gaining attention. Are you interested? And the answer, unfortunately, was no. But then... Uh, one by one, publishers came forward and made the offer. That's awesome. Yeah. Any? Are there, do you see any different kind of reactions from the different cultures the book is now released in with with these additional languages? Yeah, and it's hard to it's hard to know why because um, I'm not sure if I can't speak Italian, so I don't know if the Italian version seems to be it seems to be doing really well. Uh, but I'm not sure if it's because the Italians are just very passionate people who love deeply, and that's very much like the books. Or um, they change the covers sometimes, too. Like, that's the standard one for summer. Mm-hmm. And, um, actually, that's Kamikaze Boys. Uh, but they, they decided not to go with the traditional cover art with the Italian ones. I think all the other publishers stuck with uh, the covers as we know them in English. And that can have an effect on marketing, too, where people are like, hey, that looks that looks cool, or they might like it less. Um, it seemed to me like the French, when they first got something like Summer, it was pretty a pretty lukewarm reception. <laughs> the, yeah. And again, it's like, are you? is it because the translation wasn't up to par? Um, these books are very American-centric and very nostalgic, mm-hmm. and I imagine that French life isn't too much like American life. So, I mean, that could be another reason for disconnect. Yeah, it's very, very mysterious uh, when it comes to, to foreign translations. You're kind of helpless as an author and just have to have blind faith. Um, the one exception would be uh, the German version, which I was able to at least flip through because I'm fairly fluent in German. Yeah. Well, did, did you have Andreas look at it too to make sure that it yeah, worked out it right? did because I, it was one of those... I've had bad... I've been published by foreign publishers and then my first book was published by a traditional publisher and I've always had terrible luck where it's just a disaster um there's always that scene in movies where an author gets like a big box of books and they open it up and it's a magical weepy moment you know and like their family all grab a copy and they'll 
snuggle up on the couch. Mine, it's like I open it up and I'm like, oh. And I flip through it and I'm like, wait a minute. There's, there's something wrong. So the German version of Summer, they, they forgot the entire first paragraph. It's, it's like a monologue of Ben kind of thinking to himself, basically. That was missing. And then just a casual flip through, I'd stop and read a sentence and they'd have like the wrong character name and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. wow. That was none too pleased. And my wonderful husband sat down because he's native German and breezed through it and circled every mistake. And we sent it to the publisher and said, okay, look, you guys really got to fix this, please. Wow. That, yeah, that's yeah. bad. It's bad that he had to turn around and do their job for them. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it was a little weird too, because they were just, there was so much uh, preamble. It's like they had all these big business meetings about which book they might publish. And we really had to give them a big sales pitch and, a committee had to agree to translate Summer. And then after all of that, they their excuse for the mistakes is they rushed it so it would be out during summer. Mm. So marketing-wise, the title would match with the current season, which is okay. <laughs> ridiculous, frankly. I love being self-published for that reason because I just have full control. Right. Be <laughs> anal yeah. about it all. So you've also become a movie this summer. I yeah. guess it started in the spring, technically, that somewhere like summer, something like summer finally started to roll out as a film. Yeah, it's hitting well, film. How, how did that come about, and what's it been like to watch this this morph of your story in yet another new way? Oh, there's so many emotions. Mostly, it's it's just been a dream come true. Uh, the way it started actually was one of my readers contacted me, and it was just kind of a typical. Um, I read your book and I, I related to it a lot. Uh, is there going to be a movie? And I said, well, there's, there's no in, no interest as far as I know. And then he wrote back and he was very, very serious. Like the tone changed completely. And he told me his story about how in college he almost produced a movie, but then he decided he didn't believe in it. He backed off. And he felt like something like Summer would be enough for him to like finally make a movie. And that was awesome. But this is a grade school teacher. <laughs> so, okay. you know a Hollywood producer that's like look kid we're going to make you famous um, and so th that was flattering and I didn't take it too seriously at first but he was just very persistent and then what finally struck me is I had a hell of a time trying to find a publisher for summer and I really I've tried going the traditional route and nobody wanted it uh, one publisher kind of did a couple test rounds with readers and then gave me feedback that the book was boring and said, no, thank you. Um, and that, that's really what started me self-publishing. And I realized that I was treating uh, this person, Tom Lee, in the same way, where it's like, you know, he's, he's saying, I'm very passionate, I can make this happen. And I was dismissive, like, where are your credentials? Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what, let's do this. Let's, let's see what you can do. And I mean, he hit the ground running to the point where I think a week or two later I was talking to directors and screenwriters and he's just been nonstop since then. It took about five or six years to reach this point we're at now and he did it and I'm very grateful to him. That's amazing. So it's an, it's an ind independently published book became a true independent film. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in that too because also like um, the Spanish version of something like Summer was similar. It was a reader wrote me. He's like, hey, I'm fresh out of college. I want to be a translator. It's what his degree was in. Uh, can I translate your book? And it was similar. It was like, okay, you 
you don't really have credentials, but, you know, college education's great, but you don't have a track record yet. I can't look at a review and see how you did, but you've got the passion. Uh, and that's what I really love about how everything has changed um, with the advent of the internet and publishing mm -hmm. is that the gatekeepers are gone. And if people have a dream and they feel strongly about it, nothing standing in your way. Yeah, I think that's even more so true now with, with Kickstarter, too. Because if you find the yeah. people who can back the project to right. get you going, and especially with gay content. Yeah, and we need it, too. Yeah. Uh, what was your involvement with the film? Did you Were you collaborative, or was it merely like, yes, you can, you, you know, here's the rights to the story, go do it, or? I was pretty hands-off at first, because uh, Summer had just come out and I think maybe another book after that and I was just starting to write something like Winter and I was really still finding my feet as an author and trying to get used to the daily rhythm and uh, the whole trade was new to me and I knew that if I stopped to try to learn how to write a screenplay or try to learn everything you need to know about the movie business that it would have really sidelined me as an author which would have been a mistake. So I when we, we chose the team that we chose, um, if we were trusting them to make the movie, I decided to trust them complicitly. And that's what I did. Uh, they responded to that equally by, by also trusting me. So with different uh, versions of the script, they would send it to me and I would read through it and kind of give notes. And sometimes they would listen and sometimes they wouldn't. And one of the things I really had to learn is to let go and let the movie be its own thing. Because, of course, the author writes the book in a certain way, and that's the way I felt the story should go exactly. A movie has different sensibilities, so of course things have to change. Um, but I always had that instinct to kind of push and be like, no, 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 just, just keep it like the book exactly. Keep it like the book exactly. And they didn't. I, I'd say maybe 80% of the movie is just like the book and then the other 20% for the most part is just brilliant like they they took Ben singing in the book which is very flat and not very exciting to read about him singing more or less um, and all of a sudden on screen it's just dynamic and it moves the plot forward and it adds emotion mm -hmm. I noticed that really just from the trailer yeah. Of the singing, because having read the book, I mean, you know he sings, but there, you don't right. really get a, a bigger scene with it other than when he's with Tim occasionally. Yeah. And so I'm like, wow, okay, we get to see him sing in the movie. <laughs> you know, and really sing on a stage. Yep. And it's very clever. It's not, I know some people hear musical and they're like, they cringe and they're like, oh God, oh God. But it's not like that where the school cafeteria, everyone jumps up and starts dancing while Ben Dan, you know, gets on the table and sings about his heartbreak. So it's not it's, a high school musical. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing like that. The way that the songs are interwoven into the plots, it's really very clever. It's impressive. That's very cool. Yeah. What have you heard from audiences about it so far? Uh, it's been really positive, And I try to be realistic. I'm a very optimistic guy. And... It's kind of, I think of it as the restaurant phenomenon. When you eat at a restaurant and it's a really crappy meal, it's very rare that people draw attention to it. Usually if they don't like it, they go away and they never come back. Um, so I've seen it at a festival in uh, Philadelphia and was able to talk to people afterwards. 
afterwards, and there were readers there, and there were people that had no exposure to the story already, and both were very positive, um, and that's a very good sign. But I just, you know, it could be that some people dislike it. There's people that dislike Harry Potter, like the Harry Potter books. I don't yeah. know how, but I, I kind of think of that as a comforting thought. When you, you see like the negative review that brings you down, people are going to hate everything. There's everything out there. Someone dislikes it, but the general, all the like, <laughs> all the, um, all that aside, it, it seems very hopeful. Yeah. I had to use the author. Though, that the book is always better thing, you know? <laughs> Sometimes it's true, and sometimes, I mean, you mentioned that there's like this 20% that it's like they jumped up from the book. Yeah. And sometimes you can get that. If a movie gets in the hands of the right person, it could be different than the book and elevate the material in a different way. There's going to be people that think the movie's better than the book. That's going to be wild. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> I think of the movie uh, when they turned the stage musical Chicago into the movie that you know, won the yeah. Oscars. It's a very different experience than you get in the stage show, but it it elevated and changed the material. Yeah. And I think why not, too? It's, I mean, if you want to read the book, or read the book. And if you don't like to read, there's the audio book. So, I mean, that will always be there. That's untouchable. And the movie is its own thing. And in that same way, it's like you can accept it or dismiss it or love it more or love it less. But I do, I'm just happy it's out there. I think it's neat. Are you, is your author self satisfied with how it turned out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're always supposed to be like just completely positive in these things and be like, it's perfect. But yeah, of course there's parts where I'm like, um, I know there's one or two parts where I'm like, I know the book is better in that part. But by that same token, there's a couple parts where it's like, I'm glad they didn't adapt that part of the book because it was kind of cheesy <laughs> and they did something else instead. And that's fun. So, yeah, I'm, I'm satisfied, definitely. One of the plans, you, you've spent the summer on the festival circuit, or at yeah. least the, the earlier summer, because we're we, this is coming out in August. What are the plans to get it out to the people who, who don't make it to the festival? Well, what's what's going on with the festivals is uh, it's kind of like you're shopping it around to distributors. And distributors go to these festivals, they find movies that they think are great, and they're the ones that uh, decide if it's going to have a wider cinematic release, um, if it's going to go on Blu-ray or Netflix, and they work out all of those deals. And all of that really needs to happen before it goes uh, widespread, of course. So, yeah, it's, it's tough for people to wait. It's been, for some of my readers, a very, very long wait. Um, but it's finally out, and that's a, a tremendous relief. Like, it's real. It exists. People are seeing it, which is great. Very cool. Well, we'll, we'll keep people pointed to your website to find out, because I'm sure you'll put up there as soon as it's available for the world to go somewhere oh, yeah. and stream Absolutely. or to whatever. <laughs> now, Summer, beyond being a movie and an audiobook and a book, is also a webcomic. That's right. Rather recently. And, you, and from what it says on the... Because I've only read a few of the pages since I'm trying to actually continue reading on the books. It says that there's twists from the book in the yeah. webcomic. How did all this yeah. come about? Is this another fan that reached out to start doing things? Or? Yes, it is. It's a running theme. Yeah. My passionate readers. I love them. Um, and what happened was uh, I was checking... 
my spam folder, which I'd neglected for months. And to my dismay, there was a bunch of reader mail. Uh, and I was going through it, and one was just real casual um, from a person named Cassie Fallon. And she just said, you know, I love summer and uh, like and subscribe, but she'd read also here's some fan art. And what she did, um, she sent me beautiful illustrations. And I had, I've been a comic book reader for most of my life too, and it's a beautiful medium to experience as a reader. And I really wanted to try my hand as a writer. Uh, sadly, I have no artistic talent. And my husband, who does the book covers, uh, has a very busy career, so he wouldn't have time to, uh, to create a comic. It's a very involved process. Um, so I'd kind of been looking around for an artist and just couldn't find one that I felt matched the style of the series. Um, and when I saw this art, like my heart leapt, and I cyber-stalked her and found her DeviantArt page. And she's a comic fan too, so she had done you know some kind of comics of her own. And it was just perfect, so I wrote her back right away. And I'm like, you know, I've always wanted this to be a comic. And she's like, wouldn't that be cool? And I'm like, well... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and she's, we're chugging along. We put out a new page every week for free on gaywebcomics.com. And we can tell people who might be listening on audio that you've shown a couple of, of art pieces now on the video feed. Yeah, so you got to check that video feed out and also visit the comic website if you feel uh, motivated to do so. Um, yeah, and it's just, I'm a big believer in this story, uh, the love story between... Ben and Tim, and it's important to me that it reaches a wide an audience as possible, which is why I started with the audiobooks. Uh, I got lucky with the movie, frankly, um, and then the comic book is is the next stage of this, where I'm hoping it'll it'll find new readers. And yeah, I decided to put a fresh a fresh twist on it, so it doesn't start in the '90s like the books do. Um, it starts in 2015 because I think younger people will be able to relate to that a little bit more. And I also wanted to challenge myself um, to play with the story a little bit and to keep it fresh for people that have already seen the movie and read the books and everything. So they still have incentive to check it out. How's the collaboration on this work? Since you're generating fresh material, are you coming at it from these are the word, these are the frames that we're going to put into this page or these stories and kind of framing out that way, are you giving your artist, here's the story now, put this into art, or is it kind of a mix in there somewhere? It's a little bit like a TV or a stage script, if you see that. Um, we do it page by page, so uh, it breaks it down into like six panels, usually, or whatever's necessary. And I describe kind of what I imagine, and then I write the dialogue. Uh, what I've discovered is the less pointers that I give her, um, the better she does. Even if I give her a ton of instructions of like, make it look like this, uh, she always exceeds my imagination, which is kind of... <laughs> That's awesome. Frustrating. It's like, come on, I'm supposed to be the, the author, and you're like out creating me. But I love it. <laughs> Best case scenario. <laughs> now, you're a creator that really seems to embrace the concept of Patreon. Right. Um, certainly you talk about it a lot on the comic page as being a way to support the page to keep going. And mm -hmm. I think I've seen even recently where you're talking about it as a way to get the funding together to keep the audiobook series right. going. Because those are certainly not cheap. 
by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Why is Patreon such an important part of the projects these days? Uh, I think what happened with YouTube this year with the adpocalypse, where a simple change in policy resulted in a multitude of creators losing 80% of their income is a strong sign of what is very likely to happen in the future. Um, we saw something similar happen when Amazon bought Audible, who produces and puts out most audiobooks these days. Uh, they slash the royalties that authors earn. And it's very hard when dealing with these giants as the little guy um, to make your voice heard because you're reliant on them for money. So the choice is kind of between sucking it up and, and taking it or um, withdrawing your material and losing whatever income remain, remains. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the gay, any kind of gay media has a very limited appeal at this point. I know there's lots of straight women that have added to the readership and, and made it a little bit more lucrative, but it's still very niche. And uh, that makes it a struggle for most people to focus on their art. And most authors in this genre have day jobs and they have to squeeze their writing in wherever they can. And that's unfortunate because um, stories need a lot of attention um, to be the best they can be. But at the same time, we all have practical concerns. We have bills to pay, we need to eat. So uh, yeah, with Patreon, once again, it's the passion of the readers that believe in the story and they're willing to you know, contribute a couple dollars each month to make sure they keep going. But the nice thing is it's not a handout and you're able to create um, specialized material. It's allowed me to experiment. Um, I've done stories just with texting. I take my husband's phone and my phone and I, I write you know, a conversation back and forth and I say it's Ben and Tim talking and I can throw in photos and stuff like that. It's the kind of thing that I wouldn't have been able to publish even as an ebook, um, but on Patreon it works. So that's, that's a nice aspect of it, too. It's empowered me to be creative in, in ways that wouldn't have been practical otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I'm loving it. Yeah, we've seen, at least in, in the true MM romance space that, that I write in most often, yeah. I've, we've seen some backlash on some people who do Patreon. Because uh -huh. it's like, well, I already pay for your books. Why do I need to do that? And I think you quite eloquently put it, you know, especially for the self-pub people. Yeah. And frankly, even for those who deal with publishers, because it is such a small niche that it, it allows the creativity to happen in different ways or more often than it might otherwise. Yeah. And it's, I think it's important to be realistic, too, because a lot of people, you'll get reader mail, and they're like, you know, I'm sure your assistant is reading this, or I'm sure you get a million of these every day. And it's like, man, I wish. I mean, I'm very much a one-man operation. Mm -hmm. um, and when I do get help from the outside, like editors, um, even my husband's covers, we don't do this anymore, but for years and years, I paid him for every single one. Uh, the only reason we stopped is because it would just go back into our personal bank account. Right. <laughs> Uh, but like I, likewise with the comics, like I would never expect someone to to work on those comics or the Spanish translation or any of the other things I talked about for free just because they like the story. It's very important for me that people are fairly compensated. Yeah, you definitely never want to ask a fellow creator to do something 
for free yeah. unless there's a reason to get a sample first. Right. And I've been offered that too with some people. Um, and I've been offered prices that I felt were lower than what was fair and said, no, like, how about this amount instead? And I mean, that's important for people to know. It's like, you're not giving money just so I can go out and eat lobster every day. You're giving money not only to, to keep me going as an artist and to further what I can actually do, but this is, this is like the wealth, wealth is spreading the wealth, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> what money there is, is spreading to other people and, and helping to allow them to be creative too, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Now, and, I guess we, we get to kind of the point, the, the part of the, of your story that it's going to, some people are going to go, oh, although most already probably know this, that something, the something like series is coming to a close. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's coming in the finale and, and when is, when is it coming? <laughs> well, there's two books out unless something like Hale has come out by the time this is aired, which is quite possible. Um, and something like Hale was cool. That's going back to Patreon where that was a writing experiment where I wrote a little bit and then I would pull the reader, the Patreon supporters and say, okay, there's three things that could happen. What do you choose? And without fail, they always chose the thing I didn't want them to, <laughs> but that kept me on my toes creatively. And I think it benefited the book. You know, it's a little bit more original than it might've been otherwise if left to my own devices. Um, so that was kind of an unexpected entry into the series. I thought it would be a short story. It turned into a full length novel because we were having so much fun together. Yeah, then after that uh, is something like Forever. And for that one, we return to Ben and Tim's perspective. It's the first something like book where it shares perspective. So it goes back and forth. The others are like very solidly one person's perspective. And um, it's very much their future. It's, it doesn't retrace events at all, really. It just takes us as far as we can possibly go with them. And it's heartbreaking, frankly. It was oh. very hard to say goodbye to these guys because they feel real to me and I love them dearly. What's yeah. on your drawing board after after that? Because you did have several books out that were not in the Something Like series back in like 2012. And then it's, yeah. it's been like something like for years now. Right. What do you see next after this closes out? I would love, because you do get series fatigue. And luckily with this, I only felt it with one book in the, the entire series where I was kind of dragging my feet a little bit. Um, but a lot of retelling events from other characters' perspectives is kind of fighting against yourself. You paint yourself in a corner like you want something to happen, but then you double check a previous book and you realize that you can't do that because you said this or even an off comic could could restrict what you write. So I'm very much looking forward to writing something that's not part of a series where I can just let my hair down and let my imagination run wild. Um, I'd eventually like to write the third and final book in the Local Legends series, which has a tiny following. <laughs> but um, as a fantasy reader uh, that followed multiple series that never concluded, uh, and just because I... I like those stories too. I'd like to, to round that off with a third book. Um, mostly I just want to experiment again, like I was at the beginning and see where that takes me. Well, when you stop. figure that out, we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back when those come out and, and start to see where you've, you've taken yourself. Yeah. We'll see if I, like a lot of aging rock stars, I'll be like, uh, something like book 12 is coming out. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> the reunion tour. <laughs> right. Uh, by popular demand. 
I'm hoping so, to avoid. <laughs> what's the best way for fans to keep up with your work? Um, you can go to jbellbooks.com and there's links there to everything like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and um, the webcomic and Patreon. If you want to skip to the comic, it's once again gaywebcomics.com. If you're curious about the movie, you can go to something like summer.com. I don't run that site, but the movie people do. And you can see the trailer and learn about the actors and where it's going to be screening near you. Cool. Yeah, we'll put, put all those goodies in the show notes. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, Jay, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a blast talking to you. Yeah, I've had fun. Hockey players Simon Roberts and Alex Miller never could have known that the moment they first kissed, they were embarking on the love of a lifetime. The Hat Trick box set is their love story, as told by Simon beginning their senior year of high school through college graduation and beyond, from the insecurity of coming out to mentorship of gay youth. For Simon and Alex, it's always about love, family, and hockey. The box set includes three full-length novels and three short stories in one easy-to-download ebook. Get yours today at Amazon.com and other online retailers. So you should keep a watch on something like Summer.com because the movie is spreading out to even more uh, film festivals over the f late summer and fall. Uh, it's going to be in Rhode Island, North Carolina, Nevada. It's going to go to Austin, Texas, which, of course, is where Ben and Tim live in the book. So we're really excited about that. It's going to be in Atlanta, Memphis, and some more places. So check it out to see if it's coming to somewhere near you. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Yes. Uh, coming up in episode number 97, Alex Miska will be here as part of the GRL blog tour. Absolutely. Another new-to-me author that we're getting to talk to this year on the tour. Yeah, lots of fun. Yes. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter if you have a book. So until next time, guys, keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.